So good morning. I'm Len. I'm part of the preaching team here. And uh, like Pastor Tom, I grew up in a family that didn't do this Advent thing. But I am so happy to be able to uh, be with you as we begin this really wonderful season. Um, somehow after I uh, decided that uh, Jesus was the one I was going to follow, um, somehow I got introduced to this, uh, this custom uh, of Advent, uh, which in, in my case, in the case of the family uh, that um, uh, we raised, involved just kind of putting off the celebration of Christmas, trying to push back at that Christmas machine, as it's sort of called, or Christmas industry, so that we could really figure out what, what's this all about? Who is it that's coming? Now, you know, kids are told, well, it's baby Jesus, and that's cute, and that's nice, but what the heck is a baby Jesus? I mean, other than a baby Jesus. I mean, it's nice, but what does that mean? So that's what this whole custom of these candles and kind of marking out time until that celebration so we could talk about who Jesus actually was, what God was doing when he came in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and what his intentions were. And then also at the same time, we were thinking about it's one more week until the second coming of Jesus when he comes again and when he comes not as a baby but as the King of kings and Lord of lords that he is and he's going to restore all things to the way they should be. Everything in creation, all of the systems of our, of our kind of way of life, our hearts and so forth will all be restored so this was an opportunity to do that and so this year as in previous years that's what we're going to do here at journey is we're going to focus on getting a better picture a more clear picture and kind of sharpening the lens in terms of who this jesus is and we're going to be using obviously some scriptures but in particular some of the uh, one in particular prophecy from the old testament that gave a picture of what this one who was going to come to set the world free was going to be like now there are about 400 uh, of these prophecies in the scripture about the coming of the messiah and the Messiah is a term that literally means the anointed one, the one who would have power from God, who would be anointed in such a way as to deliver people and systems and the world from the effects of sin and death. And so there's one that we've chosen that actually is pretty familiar, and it has within it, um, as you maybe heard it read earlier, four names. And so our series is called What's in a Name? And there are these four wonderful names of, of Jesus that we hear described here. And, and so I'll put them up on the screen. There, there they are. And now this prophecy was uttered by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And in his mind and in his heart, perhaps he had that in mind, but he, uh, in terms of the coming of the ultimate Messiah, but he was also thinking about his day and his age. Because it says a child has been born for us, a son has been given for us, and authority rests upon his shoulders. You see, he was writing in a time when there was a pretty rotten king who was running the kingdom of Judah. He had invited foreign um, governments to help control things for him. He had invited other religions to come in. He even sacrificed one of his own sons to a, a foreign god called Moloch, throwing him into the fire. I mean, he just had kind of done this, and all kinds of people had followed suit, and there was a mess going on. And so Isaiah was prophesying that there would be a son that would be given, a child that would be born 
born and would have authority and he would begin to set the world right. In fact, that happened. Un, un, kind of uncharacteristically, this rotten guy, um, King Ahaz, he sired a son named Hezekiah. And if you know your Bible, King Hezekiah was a great guy. He undid everything evil that his father had done and restored peace to the land and, uh, and prosperity to the people for a time. But as you go on and you read up there things like he was the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting father, you sort of say, wow, that's a little more than just Hezekiah. And so that's where we see that in these prophetic words, there's kind of a short-term fulfillment, which was the birth of this son named Hezekiah. But then there's a long-term fulfillment. And that was the birth of Jesus Christ, who is all four of those amazing things. Sort of like God taking a stone and skipping it out on the water. You ever done that? You know, and it bounces, and then it goes, and it bounces. That's what the Word of God is like. It comes down in our life, but then it bounces on. And in this case, it bounced on to describing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at one of those names, the first one, the Wonderful Counselor, that Jesus Christ is a Wonderful Counselor. Now, before we begin to think that the Bible is saying that he's sort of like a great Dr. Phil or a Sigmund Freud, uh, it's not actually like that. Although we are benefit from people who will sit down and listen with you and enable you to tell the story of your life and they help you to reflect on that. And if you've ever had that done for you as I have by good counselors, then we're able to bring the things that we've learned as insights before the Lord who's the one who can counsel us further and bring wonderful healing to us. But this particular term actually was applied to a king. All of these four names that we'll have in this series are kingly names. Um, and this one in particular was that a king is somebody who has a counsel. He has a plan. He has a will for what he's going to do with his realm. And so he kind of lays that out, that this is what I plan to do. And he'll put that plan into action if he's a good king. He'll put that plan into action for his people. He'll basically say, okay, here's how things are going to go. I'm going to rule this place. And if you will come under my rule, then I will provide for you. I will provide peace for you. I'll protect you from enemies. I will provide uh, resources for you. I'll, I will give you land, and I will provide for you the things that you need in order to be able to prosper and to be, have a peaceful and, uh, and fulfilling life. And all I ask is that you will be loyal to this plan and to me, and that you will return to me at least a portion of the things that you've given. That's what a good king does. And so this kind of a king is a wonderful counselor. Wonderful in the sense that great things happen in the lives of people who come under the counsel, who come under the plan of this particular king. So this wonderful counselor is different from somebody who just, you know, kind of listens to your story and so on. This counselor has a plan, has a will, would direct you and guide you. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 19 puts it this way, speaking about the Lord. The Lord Almighty, whose plan or whose counsel is wonderful and whose wisdom is magnificent. This is what Jesus is. He is a wonderful counselor. And he wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants to be the one whom you will allow to direct and control your life according to his counsel and his plan in the Bible. He also wants to be the wonderful counselor for your family. 
He wants to be the wonderful counselor for our nation. And his counsel, his plan is actually available to anybody who's on the planet, in every nation, in every tribe, in every language. His design is that individuals and peoples will find their fulfillment under his most gracious rule. And it will come to full, full appreciation when he comes again and when the whole world that is ready to receive him will rise up and there will be a whole new creation that will be established as he had always intended it to be and perhaps you and I will be among us. All we need to do right now is to allow him to rule and to direct us as our wonderful counselor. That's what he is. The wonderful counselor. Well, I'd like to have a look at what it looks like when he does this. What does it mean that he is a wonderful counselor? And to do that, I want to take a look at Jesus as he dealt with two sad and discouraged and confused people. You'll find their story in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. In the church Bible in front of you, you'll find it on page 749. And so I'm going to kind of describe the story for it, kind of act it out for you. So it says, that same day, two of them. Well, let's ask the question, what day are we talking about? Well, if you look at the context, you realize that that same day was two days after Jesus had died. It was Sunday, the day after the day of rest for Jews, which was Saturday. So Sunday, that was the day. People had gone and had found that Jesus' body was gone, but they didn't know what happened to it, and they were confused. Well, these folks were done, these two. Who are they, these two of them? Well, we really don't know much about them. It's really interesting in this story. These are people who appear for the first time in the Scripture here and for the only time in the Scripture here. One of them is named Cleopas, and the other is simply his companion, somebody who's with him. Now, some have said maybe that's Cleopas's wife. And I'm sorry to say in those days, often women were not particularly identified. In fact, that's part of the deal in the story, as we'll hear about when women said that Jesus was alive. The men kind of went, you're crazy because you're women, okay? Now, it's also possible that this may be Luke's way of describing himself, that perhaps it was he who was part of this little walking party. Well, we just don't know. But anyway, they were going from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles west of Jerusalem. It was about a two-hour walk. And as they were walking along, they're talking about all the stuff that had happened. And these were traumatic events. These folks were, if not in shock, they were in PTSD. I mean, they were dealing with just what had happened over the last week. A week before that, Jesus had been ushered into Jerusalem in triumph. Whole crowds had come together, and they were so excited, they said, Hosanna to the King of Kings, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were waving their branches because here comes the Messiah, the one who's going to set us all right, right? And in he came, he went into the temple, and everybody's thrilled that he's arrived. All these prophecies are now becoming fulfilled in our hearing. We can't believe it. But then very shortly, things started to go south. He got in trouble with the religious authorities. Rather than welcoming him, they were upset with him. He overturned some tables in the temple having to do with money changing where people were being ripped off. And then everything went downhill from there until Thursday night. He was taken away by the authorities. Church and state conspired in an evil way to take this guy down. And they did. On Friday, he was stripped naked, he was beaten up, and he was thrown up publicly on a cross to die there, hanging out for the whole world to see, and he was dead. They couldn't believe it. 
What happened? What about this Messiah thing? Oh my gosh. They didn't even have a grave for him. They hadn't planned for this. They stuck him in somebody's grave. A rich guy said, sure, he can stay there. And that was the end of the story. So they had to wait it out on Saturday because Orthodox Jews, they don't travel. And so on Sunday, they're out of there. They're going. And they're walking and talking as they're going along. Their world had been wrecked. They were just in, in, a, in a trauma, confused. They didn't know what their certain future was going to be like and so on. They headed back to the only place they knew that was somewhat safe, which would be home, Emmaus. Well, here's what happened. Jesus came, and he came near and went with them. I mean, that's just like, what? I mean, these are, these are nobodies. This should give me hope and you hope. Jesus hangs out with nobodies, and he likes to be with them. And it's kind of amazing to think about he drew near and went with them. We don't know how long, but he was walking with them. Now, if I were the resurrected son of God, I wouldn't have done it this way. I would have saved a little time and kind of gone, ta-da, here I am, ta-da-da, you know, you guys are wrong, you should get it right, let's go back to Jerusalem, and they go, woo-hoo, and back they go. No, it's because Jesus had something he wanted to do with these people, as we'll see, because he's the wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor. Now, it says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Well, there are two reasons for that, possibly. One is, this guy was dead. Dead people don't come back to life. Uh, can I have a show of hands of anybody who's been to a funeral where the dead person has sat up and said, hi, I'm alive? Now, occasionally, in the name of Jesus, that may happen, but I have yet to see it. So when somebody dies, and this guy really died, I mean, they saw it, they heard about it, they knew it, he's dead, they don't come back to life. That's one explanation. The other is that maybe was Jesus was in sort of a, um, a spiritual cloaking device. I mean, he kept them from recognizing him again because he had some work to do with them, as we'll see. So they're walking along, and then he says, what are you discussing? Such a question. (laughs) I mean, he'd been walking with them. He knew what they were talking about. (laughs) And everybody who was in Jerusalem knew what they were talking about. They were talking about the things that had happened. But like a good and wonderful counselor, Jesus, fully aware of his death and his victory, nonetheless wanted to help these two and all the rest by drawing them out. So they react predictably. They turn to him. They say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there recently? They assume that because he's walking in the same direction that he was in Jerusalem, and he's just ignorant or I don't know what whereas in fact he's not an ignorant stranger he's a stranger he's fully knowledgeable of them and he's walking with them to serve them as their wonderful counselor and then he asks again what things you see wonderful counselors begin by listening even if they know the situation or the strategy, or the solution to somebody's problems. They know that it helps hurting people just to talk, and to talk, and to talk. And so over maybe the next hour or so, these two sad people tell the tale of Jesus, that powerful prophet of Nazareth, who was betrayed, sentenced, and executed by the chief priests and the rulers. They spoke about their hopes that Jesus would be the one, the Savior which Isaiah and others had prophesied, but he obviously wasn't because he died. 
They speak disparagingly now about those women. Yeah, those women who said that he was alive, that angels had told them that, but that an inspection of the tomb real, realized that Jesus wasn't even there. And all this time, perhaps up to an hour walking along, Jesus, risen, walking alongside of them, just waits and listens and waits and listens. Yeah, he does that for those two nobodies, and he does that for me. You see, the wonderful counselor knows that one of the best ways you can love people is just to listen to them. Are you aware of that? Everybody wants to tell their story. You know, people will sometimes say to me, you know, when they go to somebody who's just had a really horrible thing happen, what am I supposed to say? You don't need to say anything. You just come up and ask a question. How are you doing? I mean, you know the answer. They're horrible. But then they'll talk, or maybe they won't. Maybe you'll just be quiet with them. Maybe you'll just wait them out. That's what the wonderful counselor did. You see, when I'm sad and troubled, it's as if Jesus either comes to me personally or sends somebody who simply says, tell me all about it. Tell me all about it. Tell me your story. And so as he does this, he's addressing their past. He's trying to help them to sort out and even get out all that they're feeling the anger, the frustration, the confusion, the sorrow. I mean, they've been through a traumatic experience. That's what he does. But then, because he's the wonderful counselor in the term which we described earlier, because he's the king, then he's going to address them and address the present, their understanding of what's going on, what's happening to them right now. And so he says to them with love, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And I believe he said it that way. He didn't say, you fools, you should have believed. That's not the way God operates. Some people think, you know, that God's after them because they don't have enough faith. You just need more faith. No, 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 that's not him. It's not the wonderful counselor that's described here that I've come to know. How oh, foolish you are, slow of heart to believe. He diagnoses their problem, you see. The problem isn't what they think it is. They think that all is lost, that everything is done. No, that's not their problem. The problem is they've misunderstood things. They have a warped perspective. They haven't yet understood it. That diagnosis is essential if these two are ever going to recover from what's happened to them. And so Jesus has accepted them just as they are. But because he loves them, he's not going to leave them where they are. He's going to have some things to say to him because he's the king who wants them to come under this rule and this counsel they have, which actually includes what has just happened to them. That actually was necessary. That was part of God's plan. That wasn't some aberration. That was the way it was supposed to be. And so, over the next hour probably, Beginning in Moses and running through the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, Jesus interprets to them. The scriptures witness to him and to his suffering for the sin and brokenness of the world, his being risen Savior who has won the victory over death and destruction, victorious over our sin and over our death. You see, what he's given them is what we would call a meta narrative, that is, a story. 
a plan, a counsel that is meta. It is over everything. It's the thing that makes sense out of human life. It's the thing that makes sense for individuals, for nations, and for communities. It's the thing that all peoples can come under and can find sense in this broken world. He's giving that to them right then and there to help interpret what's happened to them so that they can be part of what the great plan that God will have for them and for their lives. He was willing to sacrifice himself for sin and rise so that there might be new life for all who would come under his rule. This Bible, this wonderful counselor is what he shared with them. It has a way of clarifying the nature of reality of life and my place and your place in it. So he addresses the confused present of these two and their myopic perspective and he brings healing to them and he'll do that for you. And you know what happened to them? Were they offended? Were they kind of, he told us, he told them they were wrong. Were they offended? No. Later on they would say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he interpreted the scripture to us? It's like all the tumblers are beginning to drop. They're beginning to say, oh, I'm beginning to get this thing that happened to us. It includes that. And they're continuing probably look at each other. Who is this guy that he knows all this stuff? Because they were kept from recognizing him. But it was like he was making sense of their world as they're just walking along. And they're beginning to say, oh, wow, it's all starting to come together they're they're finding this present reality is changing in, in in their own hearts and in their minds but there's more they finally got to Emmaus and then Jesus this companion that with them he makes as if he's going on maybe to Joppa you know by the by the Mediterranean Sea further west and, and uh, but he does that on purpose because now he wants to know what they're going to do are they just going to take this little piece of information and go back and say, well, that was interesting? Or are they going to embrace it so he makes a move to go on? And what do they say? They say, stay with us. Stay with us. Don't go. Don't leave us. No, don't leave us. Now, they, they, they're polite. They make some excuse, you know, well, it's dark and the day is almost gone. But they're saying, stay here. Stay here. Tell us more. Come on. Come into the house. And so in they go into their little place, whatever it was. In they come. And, you know, it's the hospitality thing that that, that that culture has to do. So, you know, they're getting stuff together and getting a meal because, you know, certainly this guy, he's, he's got these words, you know, we're going to make something for him. So they make something up. They sit down and, and he sits down and they're kind of, you know, looking at him and he's looking at them. And, and then, you know, uh, they're saying strongly, stay here, stay here. And he goes in. He, he, he's present with them. He went in to stay with them, and, and he, he, he will be here. You know, it's sort of like what, what, um, uh, what Jesus would say later. Those who love me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And, and so at table, he took the bread, and he picked it up, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he handed it out to them. And those hands and that motion. And they said, suddenly, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's actually here with us. And then he's gone. And they're up looking at each other and saying, did you see what I saw? Yeah, it was him. Oh, my gosh. They're just so excited. They must be jumping up and down. But, but it's kind of like, now what? What do we do now? Oh, we thought he was dead, and I guess that made sense, but now when he talked to us on the road, our hearts are burning within us, and, and now it's like everything's different. 
Oh my gosh, life is different. God is on the loose. Jesus is here and he's not here. Where did he go? I don't know. And, and, and now, what are they going to do? Well, Jesus, he didn't just want to deal with their present. He wanted to give them a future because they're saying to each other, well, what do we do now? And they're thinking, they go, oh, there are those other people, the other followers of Jesus. And so they basically get up and they get out of here and they're going back to Jerusalem. And I don't think it took two hours. I think it may have taken 45 minutes. It's dark, but they're running. Okay, and they're talking on the way. Did you see it? Do you remember what he said when he was walking with us? Oh my gosh, he's alive, he's alive. And so they come in and they gather to where the other people are gathered and they say, he's alive. He's appeared to us on the road and they say, well, he's appeared to us too. And they're jumping up and down. And now they're beginning to kind of go, wow, all right, what's going on? How do we do this? And then Jesus appears again. And they begin to get a picture of what they're supposed to do now. What is the future going to look like? What are we going to be doing? And they will be doing all kinds of things. They'll be living their lives, but they're going to live their lives in a way that they've never lived it before. You see, they now had this plan. They had to come under the rule of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they remember things like he told them, you will be going out and being my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and at the ends of the earth. You will be fishing for people as you go about doing your regular life. And they began to figure all that out. No, they weren't all going to become clergy or something. They were just going to do their lives. But they were going to do their lives with a whole new purpose and a whole new plan, a whole new confidence. Was it going to be easy? No. In fact, it's going to be more complicated because now we have this God who's running around our lives. And he's here and there for 40 days as they're trying to put together what the future looks like. And then the next 10 days, he ascended. He's gone. They're looking up and now he's gone. And then he said, there will come another counselor to be with you forever. The wonderful counselor will come in the Holy Spirit and he will dwell in you and will teach you all of these things and show you how to live under this wonderful counsel that I've provided for you. So you see, he really kind of addressed and called out and listened to their past. He addressed their present and recorrected them and guided them and directed them. And then he gave them a real great hope for the future. Oh my gosh, their life was going to be like amazing as is any life that comes under the sway of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every day is an adventure with Jesus. It really is. It's like awesome. <laughs> and uh, so now what are they going to do? Well, they're going to repeat the pattern. Now they, having the Holy Spirit within them, are going to be the wonderful counselors first to one another. This is what we do for each other, friends. What we do is we walk along with each other. We walk along the way of life. And we talk to each other about what's going on. And we share the pain and the struggles as well as the joys and the excitements that we have in our life. We draw each other out. We learn from each other. We find out what it's going on and so forth. We let people who are hurting talk. We let people who are rejoicing rejoice. And we hurt with those who hurt. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what goes on in the life of followers of Jesus as we begin to kind of figure out our past. That's one of the wonderful things that happened to me. My painful past is being worked out as I'm hanging with people who are drawing me out and asking me to tell the stories and praying for me and doing stuff like that. But then every once in a while, like Jesus, who addressed the present of those two people, we address the present-day situations in each one of us. We begin to address each other in terms of what's going on. As the disciples did with each other in those days, so we do today. We read in the scriptures that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
And so there are times where we address each other and say, brother, sister, I, I, I think you need to take a look at this situation that you're in. I'm not sure as it's going to go well for you because it doesn't seem as if it comes under the counsel of God. Or no, you've misinterpreted your past. That isn't what was going on. You know, we need to have each other to admonish each other, to encourage each other. All those one another's in the scriptures. And there are times when we get huffy about that. You know, hey, it's my life. You know, live my life the way. No, it's not your life. It's the life that has been bought with a price. And we belong to each other. And so if I get out of line, I hope you will say, you're out of line, pal. Or if I'm operating in the right way, I'm beginning to move in the right direction, I hope you'll come and say, good for you. Keep going. You're not far from the kingdom of God. That's what we do for each other. That's what we do for each other. And then together, we gather together in places like this. We, we huddle and we look to God for a future. We begin to talk to each other about how we can live this life up until the time when either Jesus comes again, as the Advent candles point to, or when we will go to meet him in death and then enter into this great new life uh, that he's prepared for us. We look to God's word for the hope in the future, that God will fill us with all joy and peace so that we are overflowing with hope. So this wonderful counselor works through his people as they work out their stuff, but it doesn't just stop here. We repeat the pattern. Now we go out into the world. We go to the places that we work. We go to the places we go to school. We go to our neighborhoods. We walk with people as they go through their life. We listen, 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 listen. You know, some of us have gotten the idea that part of being a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria is that we tell people. You know, we come up to somebody and say, you, you need Jesus. Uh, that's going to go really well, won't it? You know, it's kind of like, oops, hey, get to the other side of the street. Uh, you know, thanks very much. You know, kind of thing you do, just don't look at people because they're going to do that. No, we listen. We listen to people that we want to get to know. And we honestly want to get to know people because people need to be people. <laughs> and so we, 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 we do that. We, we talk and so on. And then so we, we listen to people's past, their stories. Everybody's got issues. Everybody needs to talk about them. And then at some point, if we're given permission, or when it seems right and the Lord gives us permission, then we might say, you know, um, I understand what you've gone through and so forth, and I, I can't imagine what that was like, but I, I can just say that, that I, I have experienced something in my life Someone actually who has made a tremendous difference, would you like to hear about him? And if they say yes, then we kind of say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about his being the wonderful counselor. Let me tell you about what he did for us and his death and his life and et cetera, et cetera. And we ask them whether they would like to receive that. See, we begin to kind of address their interpretation of what life is about, which like every one of the rest of us is warped and confused because of our past, because of our sin. And then we ask if they would like to do that and then we invite them into the fellowship so that together we can work together to find that beautiful hope that God has given us in the midst of the brokenness of life. So the wonderful counselor does this kind of stuff in us and through us. And we so believe he's on the move here through the Journey Church that he is reaching out to each one of us, calling us to surrender to his rule some of you this morning, either those of you who are here or those of you who are watching online, perhaps you are hearing that strong call of Jesus to surrender to him as your king. Some of you have approached him as a savior, as a helper, and I understand that, and that's great, and he'll do that, but he wants to be your king. He's the counselor 
who wants to speak to you about life. And you know, when you surrender, that's what we call worship. That's what we're doing when you surrender a, a good part of a weekend to come and be with him and give our hearts to him in worship, in musical worship. But true worship is when we surrender to him. And he is at work in us together here at Journey Church. He's drawing us to go deeper with each other than we ever thought before. That's what we call community, when we really can get down with maybe just two or three or four other people and really let them know what's going on and we find out what's going on with them and we encourage each other and support each other. That's community. And then he's at work through us, sending us out together to offer this wonderful counselor to everyone that we meet in a variety of ways. You know, it can be this morning with that homeless guy that I stopped and talked with, or it can be up the hill at the Bell Hill Community School as we deliver some Chromebooks, you know. It's this thing that we do as we just go about, and that's called generosity. So I just want to say the wonderful counselor is here today, and he really wants to be your wonderful counselor. He sees promise that whenever two or three are gathered in his name, let alone a crowd here he wants to appear to 500 people. I know he can appear to thousands. doesn't matter. If they're gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. So the question is, how will you respond? What are you going to do in response to the wonderful counselor? Well, we can worship. Each of us here can meet him in holy communion that's going to follow shortly, giving control of ourselves to him as we encounter him in the bread and in the juice. Here's a thought. As you come forward this morning, uh, if you're so inclined um, to receive communion, maybe you can do and say what those people said to Jesus, those two. Lord Jesus, stay with me. Stay with me, Jesus. Come. Come into the home of my heart and my will and my mind. I've been keeping you out. I've been just kind of playing with you. But now I know you mean business. So perhaps you can do that as you receive communion, is to worship him in that way. And then perhaps you can commit yourself to getting some prayer about some of the things you need, some of that wonderful counselor prayer that people can offer. Right after the service, by the way, if you go to the left over here, there'll be some people who can pray for you. They'll listen briefly to your story, and they'll at least begin the process. But you need to find some people some community that can be with you. And then you can respond um, in generosity by not keeping this good news to yourself. You know, this is too good to just keep for you, right? There are so many people who need to know that there's a wonderful counselor and how he has been made known to you and to me in Scripture and the breaking of bread and just showing up the way he does in so many ways. Well, let's close by saying together a prayer, which is going to be on the screen behind me. And this is a prayer that comes from a prayer book, and it's a prayer for the evening. But I've taken out the references to the evening, so it's really a prayer for all times that the Lord Jesus would come and be with us as the wonderful counselor. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion on the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen.